This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me once again this week is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, the year is in full swing. I just put a new ready room out yesterday. We had a new Warp 5 last week. We've got a new Orb. We had a new Literary Treks. We're finally really talking Trek again this year. Yeah, it's exciting to be doing that, and uh, I mean, Chris, for us, it is the 47th episode of Literary Treks. That's right. And we are going to... The magic number. Yeah, it's fantastic. It really is. So it's great to be celebrating that with you. Uh, It's great to be back on Literary Treks, as you said, and and hitting full swing, and uh, we're finishing the fall today. Uh, So another great milestone as well for this episode. So I can't imagine a better place to be here then on a Wednesday for me evening talking Star Trek books and comics with you and then of course being joined by our guest Dayton Ward so it is a huge show and um, yeah really excited to be here so how's how yeah. things been going for you there in Japan oh it's it's busy 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 and um, you know so much stuff happening with the network and then you know the kids back in school everything's going you know we often talk about weather here on the show. You might find this funny. Uh, Japan is an extremely low crime country. So our mm-hmm. news is not about how many murders happened or robberies oh, or well, the kinds of things that you... exciting. You know, well, but you might find this exciting because we, we have very little crime to report. Our reporters have time to go out and do other things and they oh, have airtime okay. to talk about them. So it's been very, very cold here. And apparently yesterday uh, morning, the theme of the morning news was, it's cold in Japan and it's snowing. Funny. Let's go out and film frozen tofu and bananas oh, and God. punch holes in ice. And okay. that's what we had yesterday morning. Um, I, you know, I can't, uh, I don't really think I can imagine a more exciting events than <laughs> right? frozen tofu and ice frozen tofu yes. yeah that is quality television right there um, <laughs> it really was so i mean I, I think japan may have some of the strangest television shows on <laughs> so that's probably a, a really small thing there i, I don't yeah. i can't yeah so that's really funny though <laughs> Well, you know, frozen tofu, I think, is a great transition to the one item that we haven't used today, and that's about Star Trek Voyager Protectors, which is finally going to be dropping here on January 28th. And I say it's a good transition because I think Neelix could probably take frozen tofu and really turn it into something special. Yeah, you know, I think he could as well. Um, And, you know, uh, I got to love myself some Neelix. Who knows if he'll be showing up in in Protectors, Um, but... 
exciting to me, honestly, that Voyager is going to be back in the books. You know, uh, I think any fan that knows uh, Trek FM knows that Voyager is not my favorite series. But in Kirsten Byer's hands, Voyager's become one of my favorite book series. And so I'm really excited to be getting this back. And uh, what she's done with the characters in this series is, I think, um, made it everything that it could have been as a series uh, in general. And so I cannot wait to be getting back into some Voyager. And then, of course, talking to Kirsten uh, sometime probably in early February. So this is fantastic. Uh, I'm really glad to be having this back. Um, Some big things are going to be happening here uh, as the fleet is going to be looking at a distress call that uh, it could not answer nine years ago. And, of course, Admiral Janeway has to go and face the music now that she's back from the dead. Uh, with uh, Admiral Akar, who has just played a huge role in the fall. And so this is going to be a really, really great book, I think. Um, and yeah. I'm really excited to be picking this up on the 28th. How does that go? You go back to Starfleet Command, you sit down for this evaluation period that she has to go through. You sit down and you're asked, Kathy, where the hell have you been? And she says, I've been dead. I'm sorry I couldn't contact you. How does that play out? Um, I don't know. That's tough. Um, what, what do you say? Um, hey, um, I was dead and now I'm alive. Um, <laughs> just, just short I'm and I'm a sweet, little bit like Jesus. I mean. These are the facts. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. that's a, that's a tough thing to say. I don't really know how that goes down at Starfleet. Um, although, you know, uh, Maybe she should ask uh, Ambassador Spock, uh, mm-hmm. how did that go for you when you were like, hey, I'm dead and now I'm alive again. Can I have my you know old job back on the Enterprise? Is that cool? Um, <laughs> right. So at least they have – I mean who would have known that Admiral Janeway and Spock were going to have so much in common? I didn't see it coming, but you know that's why the literary universe is so great, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, I, uh, I am looking forward to talking to Kirsten about this, and yeah, just hearing, you know, how the book came together, and also that will be coming up uh, here on the show. Definitely, like you said, probably in February sometime. Yeah, that should be really exciting, Chris, to to be having Kirsten back on the show. I love it when she's on, and uh, yeah, who I really do enjoy um, these Voyager books, and uh, for a series that uh, I was not a huge fan of when it was on. Um, I, man, I gotta say, these characters do come alive uh, in her hands, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being back in the 24th century as we've been in with the fall, but uh, seeing what's going on with Chakotay, with uh, Coco, and Kathy, and the rest of the gang. And that beam of light that's apparently the monkey, at least that's what we Oh, yeah, yeah. The beam of light that's on the cover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, All I'm right, thinking well, maybe instead of calling it, um, you know, uh, Star Trek Voyager books, maybe when we talk to Margaret, we could maybe get that called Coco and Kathy and Family or, you know, Coco, oh, yeah. Kathy and the Gang. It doesn't, doesn't that sound like a really good band name? It, it does. It would work great as a band. Or we could do like the Joni Loves Chachi. We could have, you know, Kathy Loves Coco. There you go. See, there that, that yeah. I, I think we've got the brand new series. Uh, if they actually I just want to so. do a spinoff of Voyager, it could be... <laughs> You know, Kathy loves Coco. Yeah, I like it. 
All right. Well, you mentioned the fall, and of of course, today, as you said, we're going to have Dayton on with us to talk about the final book in the fall series. It's great that we will now have a complete set of interviews for you to listen to, all five authors from the fall. Uh, Before we jump into that, well, this is the only item we have in news today. The bulk of the show is going to be the interview with Dayton. Before we do bring Dayton on, though, we do want to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. And our sponsor is Audible.com. They help us bring literary treks to you every week. And as many of you already know, they are the premier source for audiobooks online. They have more than 150,000 titles to choose from, both current bestsellers and classic titles as well. Just about any category, any genre you can imagine. They have a lot of Star Trek books on there. Some of my favorites, like Prime Directive, Federation, Spock's World, Shadows on the Sun, which we talked about here on the show quite some time ago. Great McCoy story. And we want to recommend a book to you each week here on the show. And the one I want to recommend today is one that I've just started listening to recently. And it is The Physics of Star Trek by Lawrence Krauss. And I read it when it very first came out in hardcover in the 1990s. And it was a a really interesting book at that time because the technology that's being written about was what we had in our hands at the time. And Krauss is extrapolating based on the technology that we had in the 1990s. What would it take for us to get to those technologies that we see on the show? You know, transporters, for example. I remember. So, Matthew, think back to your computer that you had in the 1990s. How big was the hard okay. drive on your computer? Oh, goodness. Uh, probably, I'm trying to think. I don't know, in the megabytes at least, I feel like. Right, yeah, something like that. Like, I remember buying, my memory's fading now, but I can remember in like 1996 buying, I want to say it was a four gigabyte hard drive. And I remember it costing like 350 or $400. It was just incredible. But he has this part in the book where he talks about using the largest hard drives that we had at that time, how many you would have to stack on top of each other Oh, gosh. to hold the pattern of one person if you wanted to transport that person. Right. And, it, and it stacked like all the way to the moon, from the surface of the earth to the moon. Oh, gosh. So, um, and, but I read it back then, and I had been wanting it in audio format for quite some time, but it was really, for some reason, like when you, when you join Audible, when you're a member, you get mm-hmm. credits, and, and you can either pay for books with a dollar amount, or you can just use a credit. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, this book was always two credits. I don't know why. And so finally, they huh. have reduced it to one credit. And so then I picked it up. And it's it's a really interesting book. And even though it's dated technologically, it's still really fun to listen to because you, you know what kind of technology we have now. Right. And many of you listening to the show, you know, you were using computers in the 90s and you were buying hardware. And so you can you can kind of get your mind around uh, you know, how technology has advanced now. So it's still very, very interesting, both for nostalgic purposes, as well as looking forward to the future. You know, how are we going to get to to that Star Trek technology? Yeah, that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun book. And, and Krauss is a professor of physics and astronomy at the Case Western Reserve University. You've probably seen him. If you watch television shows, he, he pops up a lot on these, like a Discover Channel, uh, History Channel, when they do uh, things related to science, uh, he, he pops up on a lot of different shows as a guest speaker. So you've probably seen him before. 
Uh, the book is narrated by Larry McKeever, and you can get this book absolutely free just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up, you can get a free audiobook of your choice. So it could be The Physics of Star Trek, it could be another one of your favorite Star Trek books, or a current release, new release, bestseller that you want to read that you don't have time to sit down with, but you could listen to it on your headphones just like you do podcasts as you're commuting to work or exercising or cleaning the house, whatever you do. And by doing that, you'll also be helping us bring literary treks to you every week. So again, go over to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. There's nothing to lose. If you choose not to stick with Audible after your trial, you still get to keep that free audiobook. That's yours. So uh, go try it out today. And we really thank Audible for supporting Literary Treks and the network. And of course, you for supporting Audible. Well, Chris, we are really excited to have back with us our very first guest for Literary Treks. So episode one, was Dayton Ward. I was super excited to have him on. And Dayton Ward also gets the privilege of being our guest for the 47th episode of Literary Treks. Can you believe we made it, Chris? That's right, 47. So, Peaceable Kingdoms is what we're going to be talking about tonight. And everybody knows this is the final novel of the electrifying Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek The Next Generation crossover event in the 24th century. Star Trek Titan. Star Trek Titan. Exactly. Uh, you know, we've got all of them out there. Uh, Typhon Pack. It's all here. Um, and this is, is racing towards the resolution. Um, you know, James just left us on the edge of our seat and waiting for Dayton to pick up all the pieces that have been strewn all over the floor, kind of like when you're playing with Legos, uh, and to put it all back together into some semblance of order. And so, Dayton, welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Great to have you. All right, Dayton. So I, the first thing I'm thinking uh, when I'm, I'm reading the book is this. is Okay, we've had everybody you know in the, in the order and... They've written their books. How did you get chosen to clean this whole mess up? I mean, everybody else gets to like pull all the pieces out. Um, and did you want to clean clean up? Did you want to to the back clean up here, or or was uh, that where like oh we're gonna get Dayton because we know he can do this? I think it was a function of I was late to the meeting, <laughs> and all the other stuff had been <laughs> called or taken or you know. Dibs, <laughs> and uh, no, I no, um, I don't really remember why I was the one chosen to back clean up. Um, I know, other than the fact that I think Margaret, our editor, wanted Picard and the Enterprise E to factor into the final, uh, the final installment, and she had already tapped me to write that story. So I think that's how the pieces kind of got arranged. I mean, I think David George setting it all. I mean, the, the obviously what happens on DS9 in the first book that was you know a foregone conclusion that he was going to write that. Right. And um, Una McCormick expressed an interest in writing a Garrick Picard tale. Oh, she loves Garrick. Yes, she does. And then you know, of course, the pieces start to get moved around the board a lot in David Mack's book, um, with the Andor problem taking you know front you know center stage. And Bashir and Dax playing a role, and then then um, Jim comes in with you know Riker and the Titan crew to to mix things up a little bit, and and then it's just you know here Dayton, here's all the things we've <laughs> put together for four books. See what you can do with that. You know, 
Um, you know, it wasn't quite that bad. I mean, we all we all talked about what who was going to do what and which events were going to happen and what book. And uh, you know, if you've read all five books, you know that some events take place in and around each other. Yes. Uh, even though they take place in different books, they take place simultaneously within this sixty-day window. So that was the that was the challenging part was coordinating all these things that had to happen in this very brief span of time. You know, in in continuity, um, and let everybody have a piece of the pie. You know, get get to play a little bit as part of the big story, and then of course tell a tale. You know, at, you know of their own, in and around all of those other uh, requirements. So you know it was it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work. We had this massive spreadsheet that we put back and forth. You know that had a timeline from, you know, laid out day by day in the sixty day window about what what ha- you know what happened in 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 th- at this point this character and this ship and you know these events that get that get picked up from one book to the next. So and that thing got sent around several times. When you got that spreadsheet, was it a, uh, just a little bit easier for you at all? Because you kind of had oh, all yeah. the events laid out, and so you're just kind of picking all the pieces back up and, and placing them then where you want them to be finished, and I guess where Margaret is trying to get you to be for you know what's going to come next. Yeah, um, actually, now that I think about it, the reason I one of the reasons why I ended up being last is because I was writing another book at the time all this was being laid out. I was finishing up uh, from History Shadow. The TOS book that I wrote that came out earlier this oh, year. Oh yes, excellent oh, at book. The same time. Okay. So by the time yeah. I got Peaceable Kingdoms, you know everybody else was either finishing up their book or well well underway with their book, and so the spreadsheet was an enormous help for me to get you know give me a, a quick look at, at major events or you know where this character was going to be or if I was going to make a reference to that event or or whatever. It was I was able to uh, catch up pretty quick because I had a, I had a very quick and steep learning curve to be able to get right. you know, start writing on this one. Well, and okay, so so we are at the end of the fall, um, and I mean, how in the world then do you take all those pieces and kind of wrap up this massive space opera that you know the four other writers have created for you, and try and put the universe back into some semblance of order? Well, I mean, in, in some respects, you know, my my four colleagues. Did, did a fine job of laying the pieces out in a logical order that I could, you know, very naturally pick up the you know and run with. Um, Jim Swallow, in particular, you know, he and I spent one afternoon talking on Skype for probably two two and a half hours, working out different story points, uh, things that I could you know take from his story and carry forward in addition to things I was already plotting, um, so that I could tie you know if, if if my book ties in closely with any of them, it'll be Jim's right, uh, the Poison Chalice. And so, you know, because there's even there's even a sequence where I I use a, a message that Riker sends to Picard at the end of Jim's book. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yes. the enemy hides in plain sight, and I pick up that transition in my book later on. Um, so it was a lot of fun working on all the pieces. I mean, like I said, they they all did a great job with with their individual stories and leaving you know the plot threads for me to pick up and and go with and tie it all into a nice little. I hope I tied it into a nice little bow. You know, the readers get to decide if we did it or not. Um, so and you know, and I still had room to tell my own take, you know, my own story as far as uh, the secret of the of the of the temporary president Ishan Anjar and and what his what his dark secret is and and, and involve the Enterprise crew, especially Beverly Crusher. Yes, I thought, you know she hadn't really gotten a starring role in any of these stories for a while, so it was kind of fun to change up things. So on on Ishan, is that something where you? Uh, 
knew the backstory going in or did you just get to create that really um as being like this is the thing that Dayton gets to to run with I I actually came up with the idea that he would be in a you know his what his I don't I hate I hate to spoil I don't want to spoil it for anybody but spoilers uh, as far as the, everyone secret, I actually <laughs> should I, should we actually talk about it or should we hold yeah we can talk yeah, about it fine. I think we'll it's good because it. a lot of people listening have read it and then they want to hear the behind the scenes story yeah warning danger Will Robinson danger <laughs> yeah, advance That's the right. file one minute and ten seconds from this point <laughs> um. No, um, I I came up with the idea of him being um, an imposter, uh, and of course we tossed around the idea of what kind of imposter he would be, whether he would be somebody that was a surgically altered Cardassian, or would he be a changeling, or uh, and I, I I came up with the idea that he that he had swapped identities with another Bajoran during the occupation. So once I figured out that that was going to be his backstory, then it was a simple matter for the uh, for David and Una and David again and Jim to go back into their manuscripts and just tweak it enough uh, so that they could leave me the room to come up with that revelation without it seeming like it came out of left field. Um, yeah, you know, so that so because like I said at that point, by the time I was figuring out what was going on, they were already well underway with their different manuscripts. So. Um, I was trying to come up with a story there where it would all tie together, but yet not require them to go back and make massive rewrites to support what I was setting up, or mm. what I was, you know, what I was coming up with. So, um, right. but luckily, you know, the references to Ishan in the other books, you know, you don't really see his point of view uh, largely in any of these other uh, scenes. You know, most of the time when you see Ishan, he's he's referenced from someone else's point of view. Uh, so it was easy to hide. Things like that, like his internal, mm -hmm. you know, his internal yeah. dialogue, his internal monologue, and thoughts. So, um, but everybody was on board with that. It was, it was a, you know, apparently it was a relatively painless fix. Nobody, nobody threw a fit or, or tried to kill me or have me killed or anything like that. So, <laughs> That's um, good. So it was fun. That was my, that was, my, you know, I so I came up with that idea, and then Jim Swallow helped me work out some of the logistics to make that idea, you know, make sense. You know, we talked about what he would do during the occupation and how he would hide himself and how he would obscure his real identity and things like that so uh, it was, and of course tie into what he had already revealed in his book with you know of uh, Velk you know yes his, yes today being the main guy in this all of this hmm. um, so we had to make it all make sense so it was uh like I said it was a lot of fun it was a lot of work a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of coordination and back and forth and give and take and on all on the part of all five of us to make it all work yeah, and, and this cool is process, this is something I I've mentioned to to every single author, um, but I mean I've read a lot of tie-in fiction in my day, and uh, read a lot of different universes as well, and I've read uh, multi-author um, uh, collections uh, or or uh, storylines, and this one I think for me is probably the most seamless that I've ever read, and to have five different authors write a series and have it come off this well is really diff difficult um and you guys just did such a great job um and and that's just not me like you know kissing up i, I really i mean i've read in different universes and, and and i've seen this done before uh a lot of times and just the way that this story fits together is seamless and i love that and, and it probably has to do with you know david mack creating this huge spreadsheet for you guys and you guys working so well together um but I love the way the story comes together, and I, I'm I'm hard pressed to find any areas where I was like, uh, I don't really see how that fits together, and and that's 
that's fantastic. I mean, that's what you want from a series, um, you know, like your favorite TV show, um, is to have all that fit together. So well done, you guys. Well, on behalf of the my colleagues, I'll say thank you. And if there if there are mistakes, um, <laughs> especially in the last book, you know, then I then I have to own them solely, you know, because it's not like they didn't they didn't lay out a blueprint for me to follow. So, um, I mean, we all had conversations about it, and we all contributed to it. But you know, by the by the time I was writing the second half of my book, everybody else was pretty much done and moved on to other right. things. So, um, so any mistakes in that regard are are mine. But uh, yeah, the spreadsheet. Definitely was a big help, and I, you know, I, I it, it's just massive. It's ridiculous with the notes involved, even the little <laughs> things. You know, um, I, I work on things for my day job that aren't this complicated, <laughs> and it's not. I mean, it's not one of those things you do. You want to do it for every project, but something like this, it, it almost demands that level of coordination and um, back and forth. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think I think we're going to take a break from these sorts of gigantic super crossover miniseries things for a bit. Yeah, well, I think I think too what you just said is is, is really key. You know, it doesn't require it for every story, but when it does, it, it paid off beautifully. Um, and so your guys' hard work really paid off. I mean, so many of the books in the series turned into uh, New York Times bestsellers, um, and I think that goes to show the quality of the story, the quality of the writing. Um, and so obviously I think, you know, we have to thank, uh, Margaret for coming up with a great idea and for you guys just taking that and making it the best it could be. And so, um, yeah, I mean, for me, this was the highlight of, of Trek lit last year, I think waiting for this to happen because it was so hyped. Like we knew what's the fall going to be, what's going to happen, you know, and, uh, to finally get to the end and be so pleased, uh, with a series, uh, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and I think it's a great time to be a Star Trek lit fan because of that. So, I think. Well, thank you. Um, I think part of the appeal to me with the series was that when we got to where we are at the end of the last book, you know, we there are definitely some plot threads that still are require attention, uh, particularly the DS9 story, uh, Bashir's story in particular. Um, you know, what's going to happen with the Titan? What's going to happen with the Aventine? Um, and what's going to happen with Captain Sisko and the Robinson, and and now Picard has a new set of orders and a new direction, and that was kind of what excited me about it was that we were gonna we were gonna lay out all these different um, uh, avenues for the crew, the different crews to go on, and then I mean we're still gonna have the big stories will still show up eventually. I mean we're still we'll we'll come back to some story that requires a big you know multi-author effort at some point, but I mean that's not gonna be every you can't do it every year. And you can't make it every time, you know, every time this cycles back to the 24th century, we're going to have this big multi-book crossover thing. That's going to get old after a while. People are going to get tired of that. And how many times right. can you threaten the universe with violation? Right. You know? And how many times can you tell a – I mean, how long can you carry the political thing before people start to get tired of that? And, and plus, the, you know, the lines are so interconnected, and, and, it, and even though we try to write each book so that it can stand on its own, there's still a level of familiarity that, that – I hate to say it's required, but if if you obviously are reading all the other books, you're going to get more out of the, you know, the larger story than if someone was just reading and you know picking and choosing books to read from a particular crew or something. So, you know, now that we're at this point and and things don't necessarily have to weave in and around each other as much, you know, I think I think it'll give us an opportunity to tell some some different stories, some fun stories. But yeah, you know, the Typhon Pact is still out there. There's still a concern. 
you know, the Federation isn't quite back to where it was before the Borg invasion, um, but it's well on its way to recovery. But you know, there's still these things that are out there that that will definitely generate stories. But it doesn't have to be, you know, the focus of a giant miniseries every year. That's something that's for me was really interesting. Was is you know you were just talking about you know you had the threads that you kind of got a chance to sew up and and those that you got uh, to leave open. Um, definitely one of the big ones was the fact that like half the book of what what uh, David uh, George starts off with in uh, Revelation and Dust doesn't get touched and, and so we're definitely waiting now for more continuation of Deep Space Nine and how that's going to play out with, with Cisco and the Robinson and where they're supposed to be going. So there's a huge question there. I, I love that that, that um, is really left for the reader to be longing for because I'm, I'm ready for Deep Space Nine to return and uh, like you said too with, with Titan what in the world's going to happen there now that that Riker's an admiral? Uh, will he find a way to get back on his ship? Which, you know, uh, I, I, I hope he does. But at the same time, uh, the guy makes a great admiral. So I'm, I'm actually torn between where I actually want to see him. Um, and so what what was that like for you? Um, were, were you enjoying kind of teasing those things that were going to come next and, and um, figuring out too, okay, what exactly do we want to wrap up fully here in in that kind of bow that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, I I mean I I I specifically asked you know what do you want me to do with Picard and the Enterprise? Where where are they supposed to be at the end of this book? And um, we talked about it. I talked about it with my with my editor Margaret Clark, and you know I said I would really like to answer once and for all the question of whether he's going to retire or whether he's going to get promoted or whatever you know. Uh, we've been dancing around this now for a few books, and it's time to put that matter to rest. People think we're trying to sync up with Star Trek Online, or we're trying to sync up with a comic book, or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was like, we, you know, let's answer the question once and for all. Uh, we've been teasing it long enough. People are going to start getting irritated with us if they aren't already. Um, and as far as the other crews, like you know, Riker and the Titan, and Dax and the Aventine, and and Cisco and DS9, and all that, I. I was asked to leave certain things open uh, so that they could be followed up on, you know, forthcoming books. So, you know, uh, Bashir's story will be told, you know, or will be furthered in, in uh, David Mack's book that's coming up this year. Uh, he's telling a book about uh, Section 31 and Bashir, so that'll definitely push his story forward. And, of course, David George is going to be going back to the DS9 crew at some point. And I, I believe there's a Titan novella coming uh, later this year. Yeah, there is. Um, and um, actually, so um, I think that's uh, uh, John... Oh, John Jackson Miller. John Jackson Miller, yes, is going to be. Yeah, right. And so, and as far as the next generation, um, you know, I, I said, let's let's set the direction, but, I, you know, I can leave it purposely vague as far as what they're going to do um, so that the next writer in line doesn't have their high, high, high hands tied too badly. You know, I mean, I'll, we can point them in the direction, but let's leave the particulars up to whoever the next writer is going to be. And... Um, so that's what I tried to do with Peaceable Kingdoms was, you know, I'll, I'll point you down the road, but what, what's going to be at the, you know, down the street when you start walking is up to the next person. Um, and I don't know who, you know, there's there's been talk about who the next writer will be. We'll, we'll find out here shortly, I think. Yeah, I think uh, what I was looking and I was seeing is that Una was going to be writing a, a TNG novel. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's there's that, cool. and then there's uh, but I think it takes place fairly soon after Peaceable Kingdoms, okay. at least in the continuity. 
And in fact, I believe it's going to follow up on a thread because you know right now Crusher, uh, the way I had it at the end of Peaceable Kingdoms, Crusher is on her way to DS9 yes. to act as a as a as an interim chief medical officer until they can find a permanent replacement for Bashir. Now, whether she stays there or not remains to be seen. But I, I mean, I given her family situation, uh, I don't expect that she'll stay there very long. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and plus, I said, it, you know, I kind of said at the end of Peaceable Kingdoms that she'd be hooking up with the Enterprise at some point soon. So, uh, but I think Una wants to tell a story with her at DS9 before I, you know, or whoever gets to pick him up again. Oh, that's great! Um, I like that. So it'll uh, be fun. Mark, I think David George is writing a story where she's going to be the CMO at DS9. So, you know, who knows? More Crusher, the better, if you ask me. <laughs> Matthew loves his Beverly. <laughs> I do. I love Beverly. I love it when she gets something to do. So, then that's that was huge in this book. I thought, you know, Beverly has a major role. Um, and and so you you talked a little bit that you kind of picked her character because, um, you know, she hasn't had really a major role in, in the books for a while. Um, talk about just what you were hoping to to be able to accomplish with her, um, and, and well, where you kind of wanted to see her go as a character. Well, no, no. I just, I just wanted to do something. I didn't because of the way they had set up the storyline in the previous four books with Picard and the Enterprise basically being under, under constant surveillance by you know Ishan, his, uh, you know the people that are that follow him, um, you know getting Picard and the Enterprise into a situation where they could do something you know really really exciting and stuff was going to require some subterfuge. Um, so I came up with the idea of sending. Crusher off on this mission uh, to a, to a planet that once was under Cardassian rule during the occupation, and uh, to do that, I actually went back into our backlist, and there was a short story that Kevin Dilmore and I wrote for the Next Generation anthology that came out back in 2007. Mm-hmm. It's called mm-hmm. Sky Limit, and we had a we had a situation where we we had introduced a backstory bit for her where she is friends with a Cardassian doctor. Yeah, uh, they they met during the war and became friends, and they correspond periodically. And so I brought that character back uh, for this story. Mm-hmm. So that gave me my in for the Cardassian and Bajoran angle to follow up. That gave me a you know a somewhat familiar character to go with. So she was the natural choice to team up with that Cardassian doctor and send off to this planet. So that's what got all this role. And of course, I partnered her with a couple of the you know lower decks crew from the Enterprise to. Give her some, and then, then of course we brought in uh, Tom Riker again, right? Uh, Which to, to, to give us the extra bit of fun. Yeah, fantastic! Yeah, I, cool. I love his use in this this series. He he has become, I think, uh, such a a great character on his own in in the novels, and uh, I I love the way that he's used in this series. Um, he uh, I I love how he's 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 not Will, but. Uh, in some ways, he still has a lot of that um, Riker in him that we know, and um, I, I just love the twist. When he showed up, I was I was kind of cheering silently because I was at work reading, um, and so <laughs> I was really excited to, to see your him boss back. Isn't listening to this. That's right. Uh, well, I was on break. I only I only get to read on break, but I was still at my desk, and I, I wanted to cheer out <laughs> loud. I was like, Tom Riker, yes, he's back. Um, You'll so, get to work, Matthew. Your boss will say, you know, I was listening to the latest literary treks, and I've installed a camera across from your <laughs> desk now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know those uh, Kindle online? You're not supposed to be reading online with your work. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah, that was that was really great. And the other character, too, that I really enjoyed, you know, we haven't seen a lot of um, uh, 
uh, Chen in a while. Uh, and I, I've kind of missed her being a part of the Enterprise crew in, in a bigger way. And I really love the way that you wrote her relationship with the Picard and the way that she's matured into a character. Because she reminds me a little bit of Dax. She's just kind of snarky and she's funny. Uh, she has great wit. Um, but she she can be really serious and and in a character to be reckoned with, and so I was glad to see her back. Um, did you have a good time writing her? I really enjoyed writing her the first time I I uh, got a chance to write for her was with my Typhon Pack novel yes, a couple of years yes. ago, uh, and I always liked her character from the beginning. I mean, I and but and now and I when I was writing this one, I had to take into account you know it's been in continuity it's been th- almost three years right. since the last time i wrote her so um she's obviously had time to to mature a little bit and to get a little more seasoned and become more comfortable on the enterprise and picard has had time to you know trust her and become more comfortable with her but i like the dynamic between picard's rather even even though picard is mellowed a bit yeah. you know particularly in the novels he's he's definitely not the same character he was when we first met him right. um you know he's still very proper, very um, aloof in certain ways, and you know, very, very structured, very, you know, very much the poster boy, Starfleet officer. Uh, and then we have Chen, younger, more uh, eccentric's not the right word, but unconventional um, Starfleet officer. And I just love the way that they can play off each other because he's, you know, he likes her. He sees a little bit of himself as a younger person in her, uh, and sees the potential she carries. If she has the right mentor, uh, you know that kind of thing. So I think that's where I was going with that. I, it's not a perfect comparison, but the closest comparison I came up with when I was writing her this time around was I don't know if you follow a show called NCIS, but it uh, it's the it's the military criminal investigators. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, you know Mark Harmon, the veteran agent, and uh, he has a relationship with the forensic tech who's yep. very unconventional. She's actually rather goth and you know very much outside the mainstream compared to him. But yet, they, those two get along famously. You know, he he basically treats her like a daughter. So there's something, like I said, it's not a perfect analogy or a perfect comparison, but that's kind of what I was going for, uh, writing those two together, was that uh, you know he he looks out for her, he mentors her, uh, but yet he sees that she works differently than he's used to, so he's gonna let her, but he's gonna let her do her thing because she's professional when it counts. Right. Exactly. And I felt that same way too uh, with the the way that you were able to to really shore up and I, not shore up, but uh, I think deepen that relationship that Worf and Picard are having on the Enterprise and, and, and really cement the fact that he's, I mean, it almost makes me forget in some ways that Riker was number one um, before Worf was. It, just the that line when um, uh, Picard says to to Worf, you know, I forgot how much I enjoyed having you around, Mister Worf, and and Worf snarks back, you know, that uh, I thought you'd almost forgotten, Captain, and it's just uh, what a great interplay between those two characters who have who have really mellowed and grown over the 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 series um, in, in in the novels and. Um, those two, I think, mesh so well, um, and, and it was great to see that. So, uh, yeah, I love the fact that um, Worf has, has really morphed in, morphed into a uh, just a, he has a really standout into. character. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the 
we remember that in continuity, these these the four characters that are left of the original cast on the Enterprise, you know, you know, Picard, Crusher, Geordi, and and Worf, you know, they they've been together for more than twenty years. Yeah. Um, you know, in in right. in, in, in the Star Trek timeline, so you know, there's going to be that that intimate, you know, that familiarity and and just you know, intrinsic trust and comfort level between these four people, and particularly, and you know, a captain and his first officer are going to have that relationship anyway. Uh, just from working so closely day to day, and I was always fascinated by the idea that Worf would be the first officer to replace Riker. Mm. Um, and of course, everybody's got you know everybody's. There's that line in DS9 where Cisco tells Worf, you know, that you'll never be captain because of what you did here. And I've always kind of taken that to mean, you know, it's a personal opinion of his. It can be, it's not not necessarily prophecy. And I think Worf has done more than enough to redeem himself. You know, since, since that day, and you know, yeah. in in my mind, Picard telling Starfleet, "I want Worf as my first officer," should be all the uh, the uh, the vouching or 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 you know uh, support that Worf should ever need when the time comes to select him as a captain or to appoint him as a captain. Um, you know, if the, if the captain of the Federation flagship stands there and says, "That's the guy. One is my number one." And he's the guy that's going to take over if something happens to me. That should be all the you know, that should be all the requirements or qualifications or whatever that that any naysayer would need. So that's kind of my personal thing with Worf and Picard. Is I mean I can see him captaining a ship one day. I don't know if it'll be the Enterprise mm-hmm. or not, but you know I, I think he's more than earned. Uh, re- I think he's more than redeemed himself since the days of the you know when he was on the DS9 series and that incident. So definitely yeah. no, I I think so too. I, I think. That the way that the books have have really um, grown him has been a great response to that episode and, and kind of answering the question why he should be allowed to be a captain one day. Um, and he's more than proven that I think that he's um, he he's earned his stripes. What a dynamic character from somebody that you know just got told no all the time on the show. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, at this point in the novel continuity, with but all that's happened and, and and the role that Picard has played in all of these things that have taken place, you know, I I, I really can't imagine the conversation where the person on the other side of the table is going to disagree with his recommendation. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, just uh, Picard. I don't want to, you know, Picard is not in, he's not infallible and he's not you know uh, all powerful, but I mean, I think he's earned. Uh, you know, a couple of these markers to call in if he needs to. And now that we've shaken things up, I think that will. We'll, we'll, I don't like I said. I don't know. I I expect that the the, the we'll try to keep the Enterprise E crew, you know, stable at least for one more book. And then you know, I, it seemed like we we changed them around a lot um, from book to book. Or we, I think we tried to stabilize them over the last couple of books. But it'd be nice if we could have a couple of books in a row where we didn't have to worry about major cast changes. No, that's something that too that I was just thinking about, and and it's something uh, hopefully get to talk to Margaret about. But you know, with with the casts, how hard it is. You know, you want to have movement, but you also, you know, like so if you're going to have a Deep Space Nine book series continue, you know, you, you you kind of want and expect somehow for Cisco to be a part of that. But you know, he's on the Robinson. How does that all work with the Titan now? You know, with Riker. How does that work? You know. Uh, and and Picard and his crew seem to be the only one that you know really right now are cemented and, and together. Um, and 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 so that's nice. It's it's nice to have one stable ship in the fleet. Well, that and you know there are there are a number of faces on the Enterprise crew that we really don't 
know a lot about. I mean, we right. we delved in a little bit here and there and around the edges, and, and as we need to, we flesh out a little bit of this person's backstory or whatever. But I mean, now now that now that some of this other stuff has kind of moved off the board, and and the and I'm hoping that the next couple of stories will be a little bit more character, have some more character focus, not necessarily be mm-hmm. character focused stories, but allow for more character focus. Um, we'll start to learn some more about some of these uh, new characters that have been introduced to replace folks who've mm-hmm. moved on. And you know, there have been folks who said, well, we don't know any of these people. Why should I care about them? I'm like, well, you didn't know any of them when the show started, <laughs> and you came to care right. about them. So that's our job is to make you care about the characters. Right. And, and it, yeah. so that's what, we're, that's what we're supposed to do. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I think that and for me, you know, the, the authors have really done that, you especially, say, in the Deep Space Nine relaunch series that, you know, a row for me was just a, a character that had been in the next generation. I didn't have a lot of, you know, love or hate for her. She was just a character that had shown up and mm-hmm. uh, a, a few times. And, and then you brought her into the novels and, and put her on Deep Space Nine and really created a character that I have fallen in love with, you know. So um, and then there's been some other characters, you know, like uh, watching um, uh, Jasmine die in Worf's Arms. I mean, character that was just created for the books, and you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. So, you guys, I think, do a great job of, of of carrying on the characters we know, but then creating characters that are brand new, but I end up loving, and then they die, and then I'm sad. So, and we have to. I mean, we have to strike a realistic balance. I mean, uh, we we can't remove too many. Familiar faces. Otherwise, it's not really a tie-in book anymore. Right. It's something else. And <laughs> there are still yeah. fans who expect to see, you know, Picard on the Brit on the Enterprise or Kirk on the Enterprise or you know wh- whatever. And so we have to find a way to strike that balance to um, to give them what the, something of the familiar, but yet try to balance it with some something new and unexpected. It's a tough it's a tough road to hoe, especially nowadays where we don't really have another movie waiting in the wings to, you know, keep us in check. Right. And so you can you know, there's always that risk that we go too far afield, but I think our editors and the folks at CBS licensing do a very good job of keeping us they don't rein us in so much, but they you know they, they do you know it still has to be recognized as a Star Trek story. Yep. And so there are certain parameters that you have to you have to abide by and things like that but i don't really consider them restrictions they're just you know hey you know it's not my sandbox i'm playing i'm allowed to play in it for a while and they're letting me do a lot of things there's i mean if these shows if we still had shows on the air and movies coming out with these characters every couple of years there's no way we could do any of what we're doing right right oh, yeah and so it's an enormous amount of freedom that carries with it an enormous amount of responsibility and we get a lot of support from the folks at cbs and you know Obviously, there are things that we can't do, like I'm not going to marry off Worf and Picard or whatever. Um, but I have a story and an outline for it if anybody wants to read it. Um, <laughs> Fan fiction, just, you know. But I, <laughs> yeah, I've got my uh, my uh, uh, slash fiction folder here on my laptop. But um, so it's it, you know it's a lot of fun to be able to do these things. I mean, it's no other other than Star Wars. I think I don't know that that other time properties enjoy the level of freedom that Star Trek currently has in terms of the tie-in books well Um, and so it's a lot of fun yeah i think i think star trek is the only one because now that disney has bought uh star wars the books have taken a very different turn uh and and that whole universe is up in smoke right now we have no idea what they're going to do with with uh everything that's happened in their eu and what's going to be considered canon and what's going to matter and, and and all that kind of stuff so 
and for them that and that whole universe that's kind of hard whereas in star trek you know did the best you could to to stay in continuity with the movies uh and everything but it yeah you know it's a different approach i mean star wars is trying and i i saw that i saw that i read those articles and i'm i'm not as Reading, I'm not reading as much doom and gloom into it as some people are. I think what they're trying to do is just – my understanding is it's more of an internal thing uh, with the, the, the couple of folks that have been appointed into those roles and the team they're putting together. I think they're just trying to get a handle on all these yep. various tie-in products, and they're trying to – when they say they're creating a canon, I think it's more of a – just an internal reference guide of some sort to let them – you know, to keep them – Ordered as far as how future tie-in works will be developed, I I honestly can't believe that they're going to tell whoever the director is of the next Star Wars movie that he can't do what he's doing because somebody wrote a comic book right. years ago. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. Not going to. It never happened. Yeah, right. Uh, but I yeah, can yeah. see where they would like to. If you know, they've already they've already had. You know, Star Wars already had a level of consistency that they observed between the different, not just the different tie-in. Books, but between the different tie-in platforms, so like right. comic books, yep. and games, and novels, all shared something of a similar continuity. Um, but you know, there's no way that a multi-million-dollar film director is going to look back at you know a Clone Wars comic book and go, "Oh, I can't, I can't do my movie because some guy wrote a comic book." About right, it. exactly. It's not, it, it won't, you know. Now, as far as Star Trek, it's not like the, it's not like they don't know what we're doing. CBS is absolutely aware of everything we're doing, and they get to. to you know, agree or disagree or decline or you know whatever, refuse or whatever. But you know, again, they they give us a lot of latitude and they they support us. You know, that's not to say we haven't had ideas shot down. We have, you know. Uh, but at this point, with the relationships, as long as they've been in place, you know, there's a level of trust and understanding, and almost uh, we almost share a same brain in some regards about what you know. We understand what they expect. They know what we're going to try to do. Um, they can anticipate certain things, and we, we can anticipate what they would like and not like. So you know, it's we're not going to send them something we know they're going to shoot down. You know, um, but then when I say that, it's not like the rules are so restrictive that we can't do anything. You know, they're, they're like I said, they're very supportive, and they'll listen, and then they'll say, ah, you know, that might that might be too far off the rail, right? And yeah. then we'll come back a little bit, you know, but. Uh, it's interesting talking to the licensing folks and, and, and our editors to, to develop, especially these big plot lines that cover multiple books and you know unfold over several months and things like that. Well, I think that really is is the thing that's been so much fun about the 24th century is that now you guys do have this kind of free reign to be able to do so many of these big things that you couldn't do if, if we were still getting movies and, and uh, TV shows and whatnot. And it's, it's created a lot of fun. And for me, it, it really, it, it, in some ways it almost makes it mean more because it, it's right now, it, it's not going to be rewritten uh, anytime soon because somebody wanted to do something else on the TV show. Um, well, you never know. Or so, we might decide just to reboot the whole thing, you know, we'll 52 yeah. the whole problem. <laughs> But so and I've joked about that once. Let's just hit the reset button and start all over. Um, <laughs> and I get dirty looks. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, yeah, we've got a lot of freedom. But again, you know, there's a, there's a, it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility we try to take seriously in terms of what we've been entrusted with, and uh, just the same, like the same way that, that the folks who who develop the scenarios over for Star Trek Online, you know, mm-hmm. they they are even further in the future than we are in terms of the timeline, and 
you know, so there's almost nothing known about the period in which the game is set, other than what they have developed as the right. backstory for their game. And you know, they take that job very seriously too. Um, and because I've talked to some of the developers and the folks who write some of the, the storylines that come out of that, you know, that they develop for the game, and you know, they're 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 very serious about it. Um, mm. Uh, they understand that uh, they've been given quite a quite a prize in terms of the types of work that we do for tie-ins. You know, not everybody gets to do this kind of thing. Mm, definitely. And, uh, so it's right. a lot of it's a lot of it's kind of like you know like you know with great power comes with great responsibility. You know, you can almost hear Stan Lee <laughs> saying that in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to screw it up. You know, it's like yeah, we could we could kill off character X if we wanted to, and there'd be no repercussions because there's no movie coming. But you know. To do that, you have to have a really compelling story reason mm. in my mind. Yeah, to do something like that, you know, when you're talking about a character that's beloved, you know, by by any number of people, it's like you know, you just you just don't do that because you can. There has to be a reason for it, and there should be it should mean something when it happens, and it should have repercussions and after effects that are felt for books to come. Mm. You know, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's something that I you know we talked about a little bit uh, earlier, and in, in this this idea, you know. Picard was going to be kind of uh, a big focus for the the end of this book and kind of setting him off and answering some of those questions and you know he gets to save the galaxy again which was was pretty awesome. Uh, I was I was kind of waiting for him to have his Star Trek Six moment uh, like Kirk you know in front of the council and give a big speech about you know where the Federation was going to head. Um, but uh, just talk a little bit about you know for you his, his growth in the series and 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 where you uh, were trying to place him. Um, uh, and uh, we talked a little bit about that, but there's a lot that happens with him in here, I think, um, and I really enjoyed kind of getting to be, that. mostly for me, this was a, a great Picard, and, and on the other side, Crusher novel, um, and so just talk a little bit about kind of getting to set him off on his new course. Well, I, I kind of picked up some threads that I had started back when I wrote the Typhon Pack book, you know, he's when I when I wrote type when I wrote the Typhon Pack book, he was a relatively new father. Oh yes, um, and I Great got kind book. of thrown, I got kind of thrown into the deep end on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I got to write the story that that focuses on him, you know, his kid is a year old now. I mean, we 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 you know all that other stuff, you know, all the, the the rest of it had already passed. So I'm at this point where he's, you know, he's the captain of the flagship in a post disaster federation he's got this enormous responsibility but yet he also has this other mm-hmm. enormous responsibility as a father and you know it it begs the you know it, it, as a father myself that was i was a relatively new father at the time i was writing that book you know i i can understand the conversations he would be having with his wife mm-hmm. and with himself you know about what's the what's the future going to be can i continue on this course and yet still give my child the attention that he deserves you know and for a guy like picard that's a pretty big conversation to have with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where I started that in in, pa- in Paths of Disharmony, where he starts to ponder a career change. Is he going to retire? Is he going to take a post, you know, on a planet, or or you know, go to Starfleet Command or something? And I left it open ended because we honestly did not know where this was going to lead, you know, in terms of future books. So I left those questions unanswered, and you know. When I got when we circle back around, it's a couple years later, and here we are with another Picard story, and I'm like, well, we're still here with the same questions, and things aren't even, you know, they're not a lot better than they were when I left them in terms <laughs> of the situation with the Federation. 
you know, I mean, he, there's that line in Insurrection that always keeps coming up when we have these discussions about the types of stories that are in these post-Nemesis novels. Like, does anybody remember when we were explorers? Right. You know, right. and Picard is an explorer. That's that's why he joined Starfleet. He wanted to go out and see what's there, and he understands he has a duty. He understands he has an obligation, you know, to to for Federation security and and that. But what drives him is is the is the is the search for what what's next, what's out there, mm-hmm. and I think he was losing that, and that's how I started to write him. Was that, you know, he's he's been he's he's had to put that aside these past several right. years for all these other demands, and you know, I kind of see the ending of the fall was like, okay, we're at a moment where he can make that he can have that conversation and finally reach a decision. So that's why he has the meeting he has with Akbar and Riker at the mm-hmm. end of the book. You know, it's like, look, I'll answer the call when you call, but this is not what I signed up for. And if this is what we're going to do, you know, if we're going to allow the, the 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 politics of fear to drive us, if we're going to define ourselves by how we prepare for war, you know, that's not what I joined Starfleet for. That's not what Starfleet was when I joined up. I would rather go do something else. And so, obviously, we have a new president and a new you know a new administration and a new outlook. Mm-hmm. It was time to kind of restore something that Starfleet I thought had lost for a few books or you know for these past several years with all these all these crises that kept coming up it's like okay we've kind of lost something here so that's what Picard has been pining for it's like if if I can't find it here I'll go find it elsewhere I think I owe that to my child right yeah. but of course you know he's going to answer you know if they call him because there's a war on or something he he's obviously going to come you know he'll always serve but um given a choice between being a soldier or being an explorer he'd rather be an explorer so that's where we decided to take that. Yeah, it was time for a change. Yeah, I loved I loved that he does get that that conversation, and and I I really liked that you know Riker and and Carr uh, have been expecting it too. They they know that it's coming, and and I love that uh, they're smart enough to realize you you keep Picard where he is, um, and uh, you know. You you let the man do what he does best. Exactly. Yeah, and I thought about having the big speech in front of people where he says, you know, we, something like that to that effect. You know, we've lost something of ourselves, and it's time to go get it. You know, I, I get it back. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's really not Picard. Mm-hmm. Picard is not a grandiose chest thumper guy who stands up in front of hundreds of people and yells. You know, to the right. rafters. This is what we're going to do. That's not Picard. It never was. He's more intimate. He's more personal. He's more one-on-one. You know, so to me, that was the that was the more appropriate conversa- way to take that conversation between two trusted friends. Yeah, and and just so happens that you know somebody was already anticipating this is what he's going to say, and they had a set of orders ready for him. Yeah, so, it's amazing <laughs> what can happen when you write the book. You know. So, <laughs> yeah. But that was my one request, and you know, uh, as far as can we put Picard in a position where he can explore something? Now, I'm not saying he won't get into trouble. You know, that's what happens in Star Trek books. You go out and do something normal, and it turns to crap. You know, that's something goes horribly <laughs> wrong. That's what that's what happens in Star Trek books. Um, so you know, he'll find trouble to get in, but um, he, the, the 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 notion that we have to define ourselves by being ready on a war footing all the time, you know, that's not Star Trek. Well, and I I love that a car's like, uh, are you going to quote Kirk to me again? Um, <laughs> That's my that was my tip of the hat to Bill Eisner, yes. uh, my good friend Bill Eisner. I I love that conversation at the end of losing the piece, and um, I, I just love the way he wrote that. 
and I was hoping for a chance to call it, call back to it at some point. Yeah, and it's nice. it's great, you know, because um, you know I I think that one of the things for me that that was a one of the few things that I really enjoyed about Generations was that conversation. I, I think that was kind of what I expected the whole movie to be more like with with those two together. Um, but a really meaningful conversation. And I think um, one of the things that, that all of the captains uh, in Star Trek have, have really shared in some ways with with Kirk is that idea that they're out there to make a difference, and, and that's what they do best. It's funny you say that because that's, that's probably my favorite part of Generations is that little brief conversation between the two of them where, he's, where Kirk tells him that. Yep. Because to me, and this is just my own internal explanation for that. To me, it explains the difference in Picard that we see between Generations and First Contact. Yep. You know, where yeah. he becomes a much more lead from the front, go into the, you know, run and run at the front of the, of the, of the, of the, of the away team or, or the front of the group that fights the Borg. That's, that's, he's more action Picard in the subsequent movies than he is in Generations. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of a way of, that's Kirk's so, you know, advice to him kind of taking root. You know, that's his way of. It's one of the ways in which he takes Kirk's advice to heart. Hmm, that's and, a good connection. Um, so that's that's how I've always justified it, and 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 I just I've always loved that line. That and that, and when Bill Leisner did it in Losing the Peace, I said, you know, at some point down the road, I hope I get to to refer to this because it's just a hmm. perfect conversation. Hmm. Well, and that was one of those scenes too, where you know Shatner just. There's nobody else who could deliver it like he did, and and you know, um, he, the the guy was Kirk, and you just you just bought that that's that was the heart of who that man was, and um, and it's the thing that that kind of bound those two guys together. As different as they are, um, they still had the, the that same core at the heart, and so, um, and I think that that leads me kind of in the next thing. You know, for me, this this book. Um, was really about this issue that had arisen, I think, in the Federation after so much had happened to it that there was this idea that the end justified the means. And um, Shan really um, is is the quintessential believer in that. Um, and, and his whole philosophy is kind of built around that. You know, there's a whole point in the book where he's talking in his brain about you know, will I have to destroy the Enterprise? Am I going to have to get rid of a car? Am I going to have to get rid of Riker? Who am I going to have to get rid of to, to make this come about? What I see needs to happen. And uh, it seems like this whole series was really kind of getting the 24th century back on kind of more of that classic sensibility in terms of kind of the feel and philosophy that Star Trek has always had. Um, and I, I felt like by the end of the book, that that really has kind of happened in some ways. Like it's it's still going to be a struggle, but they're they're kind of back where you know they were. As as a car says, you know, does it remind you of of about twenty years ago, Picard? You know, um, and uh, I felt like this this whole series was kind of doing that, as you kind of said, wrapping it up in a bow and and kind of putting us back, at least philosophically, where Star Trek has always kind of been. I mean, we're not we're not done. Like I said before, we're not done with the Typhon Pact. We're not done with these other issues that are still on the table. And you know, there's always the possibility of some other threat that we've never seen before coming along. But you know, there has to be a balance in my mind, you know, right. to make it a Star Trek story. Otherwise, it's just a it's a military science fiction story. You know, and I think that's obviously Picard is is the is the 
the prism through which we view all this. But you know, he he understands his obligations, he understands his duty, but mm -hmm. yet that's not what calls to him. Right. And so and to, and so that's basically Star Trek in a nutshell, as far as this balance between you know what we you know, we have these necessary things that we must be prepared for, but that can't define us as a, as a, as a as a group, as an organization, as as a, as an ideology. And Picard is the perfect representation of hmm. what we should strive for. You know, with, with what the Federation should be striving for. He's he's always he's made his mistakes. Don't get me wrong. You know, we know from, we know from reading the Trek lid and some of the other things that have happened that he's made he's made mistakes and there there are things that will haunt him. But yet, you know, there's still time to to do the right. There's still a chance at, at getting things put back on the right course. And I don't know that redemption is the right word, but you know, at least. Going back to the principles uh, that we're supposed to be holding ourselves to. Well, now that the the fall is done, um, tell us a little bit. You know, you have your Seekers book coming out at September, um, and then tell us what else uh, might be coming up for you in the the Star Trek universe and then elsewhere. Well, right now my world is is all about Star Trek Seekers, which have we talked about that before? I, forget. I think we talked a little bit about it before because we talked about it with David Mack. Um, I think we talked about it with you, Dayton, last time you were on too, a little yeah. bit. It was just kind of starting to get going. I remember how far going. along we were, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess for those of you who may not know, Star Trek Seekers is a spinoff series, uh, kind of a sequel series to um, uh, a novel series that we wrapped up a couple years ago, uh, Star Trek Vanguard. Um, we, we ended that story and we uh, we pitched an idea a year or two ago to our editor about taking the two two of the ships that were assigned to the station in that storyline, the, the 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 Endeavor, which is basically a sister ship to the Enterprise, and a smaller scout ship, the Sagittarius, and spinning them out into their own series. And the idea was that even though it's one series with an umbrella title called Seekers, uh, the books would alternate in even odd fashion. Uh, David Mack would write the books that focus on the Sagittarius and its crew, and Kevin Gilmore and I are going to write the books that focus on the Endeavor and its crew. And the first two books in the series tell a joint story to kind of kick things off, uh, like a two-hour two-hour season premiere kind of thing, or two-hour mm -hmm. series premiere, and uh, or sort of two-book series premiere. And then after that, the intention is for Dave to write Seekers Book Three, which would be an individual standalone Sagittarius tale. You know that carries forth the character arcs and things that are that he's starting out for his uh, crew, and then we would pick up with book four. We would tell an endeavor tale that would do the same thing. You know, the, the stories will largely be standalone in terms of the big plots, but we will start laying out character arcs that will pick up and you know in pursue to varying degrees from book to book. And then of course the the premise allows us to revisit you know the team up once in a while where we bring both ships together for a joint story or whatever we need to do, or team up with another ship or whatever. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely it's set in the TOS era, toward the end of the Enterprise's five-year mission, you know, during the original show. So we're starting to advance toward that period between the end of the series and that period just before Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And so that's largely an undefined gap in the Star Trek history. So um, should be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's a nice concept. I like that they're standalone stories, but also fill in that time period. Yeah, that's really cool, um, and I'm really excited about the series. Well, you know, we're going to proceed at a slow pace. We'll, you know, we'll let the, we'll let the stories dictate how fast we move along. But you know, it's it's back in that area of space that is away from what the Enterprise was doing, so we're not going to tread on its toes too much. Uh, but you know, we've we've got some ideas for for bringing in familiar characters from time to time. But people keep asking us if we're going to bring in Vanguard characters and stuff, and 
you know, aside from the characters that were established in Vanguard for these two crews, don't know what we're going to do. You never know. I mean, we, we, we like to think that Vanguard's story is told, uh, and we would like to leave it alone, not not go back to that well too often. But you know, you never know. Whatever something might come up in a brainstorming session where you know, hey, character X is the perfect fit for the story. Right. You never know. But don't count on at least, and definitely don't count on these first two books. <laughs> so, um, for you working on Seekers, uh, anything else that um, that people should know about that's coming out from Dayton uh, soon that that we need to be aware of, and and, and two. Uh, where does everybody need to find you online and can follow you? Let's see. The the most I think the next thing I've got that'll come out is a, actually I have an essay that's in a collection of essays about Star Trek comics called uh, New Worlds and New Civilizations: Exploring Star Trek Comics. Oh, cool. And it's put out by a group called the Sequart uh, Research Organization, and they they do these collections of essays about different pop culture topics. And uh, mm. so the focus of this book is uh, Star Trek comics through the years, basically starting from the Gold Key group in the 60s up through the current IDW run, and just about everything in between, including little niche things like newspaper comic strips and the British comic strips and uh, things like that. So it, uh, I wrote a story. My essay focuses on the second run of comics under Marvel's regime, uh, which came out in the late the mid to late 1990s. You know that had five monthly series and various specials and crossovers and things. Mm, cool. And then after that, it's Seekers in the summer, and uh, I have contracts on my desk right now as I speak for what my next project will be, but I can't say a thing about it. Ooh, ooh, man. I know, I hate exciting. that, huh? I hate another that secret Dayton project. Yeah, another secret project. Uh, <laughs> so maybe sometime around show 61 or 62. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then, the, I, in fact, just today, I, I, I pitched a novel idea to my editor at Pocket, a, a Star Trek novel idea that, I have no idea if it will go anywhere, but I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting room waiting to go in, and this idea occurred to me, and I kind of wrote up a short email and fired it to her, and then we had a back and forth for about you know four or five different back and forths where we talked about how the, how it could work. So I don't know if that will ever go anywhere, but I've been thinking about it all day, and it's kind of driving me nuts. So I'll, have, I'll probably have to write some things down before I can get back to work on Seekers. Well, I will tell mm-hmm. listeners, uh, Dayton, I guess this is your fourth or fifth time maybe on the shows on the network, if you listen to Dayton shows in order, you'll always hear at the end of a show, the secret project. And then if you go to the next show, you'll usually find out what that secret yep. project yep. was. <laughs> so, yeah. So just, you know, keep coming back to me once in a while. Hey, is it, are you ready to talk about it yet? And we'll do the big reveal. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, in fact, yeah, I just got the contracts yesterday. I have, uh, I have printed them out so that I can, uh, read them over and sign them and send them back. And then once the contracts are signed, that's usually when I'm given the green light to talk about what it's going to be. So cool. maybe in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Well, that's a really exciting. I, I love, um, I mean, I, we loved from history shadow. Um, and I was so glad to see you get to finish off the fall. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the seekers. And so every time you do this to me, I'm on the edge of my sheet waiting to see what Dayton's going to be, you know, giving us next. So big secret project. I'm looking forward to that. And I just really want to say thank you for, for coming on. Um, it's great to have you on for our 47th episode of literary treks, which is always a big deal, uh, to, to get to that point, uh, big star Trek number. And, uh, absolutely. So we really appreciate your support of the show from the very beginning and, uh, can't wait to have you on again. Uh, so thanks for being with us. No, thank you for having me. And I, and you know, back at you guys. We appreciate the support you give us by uh, 
having us on, talking about our work, give, you know, uh, letting people know where to find us, and letting people go find us on our bookstores and all that. It's, uh, it's, we appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. All right, Matthew. Well, it was great to have Dayton on again. I'm glad that he could be on for our 47th show because he did help us kick things off with the very first episode of Literary Tracks. Of course, he's been back with us a few times since then. But, you know, 47, the magic number, and closing out the fall as well. Just um, it was yet another great interview. Yeah, I love getting to have Dayton on just because of that. Uh, it, it is a great milestone for, for us to have reached, and it was a lot of fun uh, that it just worked out that we had him on now. And, man, um, it's it's crazy to think that the fall is over now. And uh, I know, right? Uh, yeah. yeah um, but uh, as we talked about in, in news, I'm really excited that uh, we're going to be continuing as we get into this new year uh, with uh, having Voyager. And so we'll stay in the the 24th century for just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We had such a buildup to the fall. We talked about, you know, the, the, the little clues that were coming out for so long and it was such a buildup. And to think that it's already all five books are already out is um, hard to believe, but, but it is here. So, well, I hope everyone enjoyed the interviews, uh, of course, today with Dayton, but all the interviews that we've had with all the authors of The Fall. But of course, The Fall isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM over the past week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. A piece of the action commentary. Wouldn't that be amazing if you went to a solar system and Spock was like, okay, Kirk, you're not going to believe this, but I'm pretty sure there's a Death Star here. Yeah, I was going to say, you could <laughs> you could just go to a Death Star, you know? And he'd be like, no, there isn't. Holy cow, there is. Oh my God, that's awesome. Earl Grey. TMG Season 1 Recap. And we get to see some junior officers that Lieutenant LaForge is now in command of. Instant pep talk and miss I don't know what button to push. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens when you leave the entire senior crew off. The ready room. Affliction and divergence. Yeah, the other interesting thing about that, though, is to compare the Klingon ethics with the Section 31 ethics, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, there are some groups within the Klingons who maybe don't feel exactly the same way. But then yeah. there's this group within the humans who feels completely different. And you kind of wonder what the Klingons think maybe about someone who wouldn't do this. The orb. Implications of genetic enhancement. Miles slowly kind of gets to know these other characters. He's a little bit more comfortable with them, but he's still kind of at arm's length because he, they don't have that normal sense of control, what yeah. we would call normal sense of control, that Julian does. To the journey! The Borg. Some people might really get on my case for saying this, but I think the Borg were bigger baddies and more threatening and more scary in TNG than they ever were on Voyager. Warp 5. Enterprise Season 3 with Larry Nemechek. All of a sudden, UPN got put under Les Moonves, the head honcho of CBS, the master TV network dealmaker, and kind of looked at this thing, and he was not all caught up in the goldenness of the 90s and the aughts, and he's like... You guys aren't paying your own way. Commentary, Trek stars. Alphas. Those TV shows were nerds. And nerds liked those TV shows because like, of what they were. And Alphas was actually a pretty cool nerd. And people didn't seem to like it <laughs> because it was just a little bit too tough looking. Like yeah. it maybe knows how to throw a football. Literary Treks. Slings and Arrows, The Oppressor's Wrong. 
And I'm curious to see the next time I go back and watch Homefront Paradise Lost, how much this adds to the experience for me, knowing all this stuff that was going on and knowing how much more involved Layton's plans were than what we knew about just from the episodes. Matter stream. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters and Richard Hatch. If you've ever experienced war or any kind of um, conflict where everything is life and death, there's a certain kind of um, resolve, truth, experience that you come to that um, I don't think too many people can understand or ever really uh, empathize with. And introducing our newest show, Melodic Treks, covering the music of Star Trek. Alexander Courage and the TOS theme. Roddenberry, in fact, wrote words for Cottage's Star Trek theme song, not because he expected the lyrics to be sung on television or anything like that, but just so that by doing, he could claim credit as the song's co-creator and therefore receive half the royalties from the song. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in a variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download and stream from the website. So check out your favorite show and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on the fall or anything else we've been talking about, there are several ways you can do that. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show and all the topics that we discuss here, and really anything about Star Trek that you'd like to discuss. You'll find it all over there on the forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and you'll find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek, under username TrekFM. All right, Matthew. Well, now that the fall is over and you're not uh, busy, you know, trying to flesh out the crew of your new Andorian cruiser, the Mount Russ, where can people find you? Well, Chris, people can find me um, on uh, Twitter at MattRushing02, uh, just tweeting about all sorts of different things. And uh, then, of course, we also do another show together called The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And so if you enjoy Deep Space Nine, you'll want to find us there. Um, and then I do have my own personal blog. So if you're just interested in things that I write that don't uh, always have to do with Star Trek, uh, you know, movie reviews, book reviews that aren't Star Trek, uh, things like that, uh, you can find me at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Uh, now, Chris, uh, when you're not uh, hopelessly following the fanfic for Kathy and Coco uh, <laughs> online, where can we find you? You'll find me corresponding with the monkey, kind of like Data did, you know, in Pen Pal, sending letters back and forth. You know, we're, we're planning and plotting uh, the next installment in that fanfic but um but when i'm not doing <laughs> that you can find me on twitter and my username is c brian jones that's the letter c and brian with a y you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com 
And then elsewhere on the network, of course, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you'll also find me on the Ready Room every week, where I'm joined by guests from all around the network, as well as other special guests, as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and Star Trek news. You'll find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. And I have my own interview show, Matterstream, where I talk to actors and writers and scientists and all sorts of people about topics that are either loosely related to Star Trek or inspired by Star Trek. So check out all of those shows as well if you're interested. And lastly, before we let you go, we'd also like to ask you once again to support our sponsor for this week's show, and that is audible.com. You can go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm to get a free audiobook of your choice. It could be The Physics of Star Trek, which we talked about in the new segment today, or any other book that you'd like, Star Trek or otherwise. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from, and they add hundreds of titles every week. So go over there to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Get your free trial. If you choose not to stay with Audible after the trial, you still get to keep that free audiobook. So there's nothing to lose. And you'll be helping us bring literary treks to you every week. And also, one more thing you can do is go to trek.fm slash donate if you'd like to make a contribution to the network. We have alien badges and art prints there for you to choose from. They're original illustrations by Tobu Uji, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. You can mix and match, choose which format you want them in. We have different levels of contributions that you can choose from as well. And your donations help us pay for the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you every week. So we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the last 47 episodes. And until next time, Live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.